Hello everybody, welcome to this edition of the Ian Abernethy podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with my friend Oliver Martinez. So Oliver uh, is based in Texas, he practices karate, uh, Kundo, and Aikido. Uh, Oliver primarily regards himself as an Aikido practitioner and a few uh, days ago me and Oliver were having a, a chat, we were just kind of catching up and we ended up having a fairly in-depth discussion about the changes that are happening in the Aikido world, how this relates to the changes that have happened and are happening in the, uh, the karate world and then we ended up talking about the changes that need to be made to a karate syllabus, an Aikido syllabus, any martial art really, in order to ensure that it ticks the self-defense box. We also talked about the other aspects of martial arts not related to self-defense and how to maintain those within your practice and their own value. So we had a great conversation at the end of it. I was really disappointed we hadn't recorded it. <laughs> so I, I said to Oliver, you know, if we get online again next week are you okay if we basically reconstruct the same conversation and record it because i think everyone will find it uh, an interesting uh, conversation because there was just so many facets to it so we did that and again i think it came out great there's loads that we discussed that the needs of uh, a syllabus to, to meet the requirements of self-protection the parallels between aikido and, and the karate communities and and what's happening there I, I think that no matter which martial art you practice you'll find this an interesting listen uh, very grateful to Oliver for being part of both <laughs> of these conversations so without uh, further ado here we go here's me and Oliver Martinez So uh, I'm here with uh, my friend uh, Oliver Martinez. Oliver's based in uh, Texas in the USA, uh, studied uh, karate, Aikido, uh, Kundo. primarily regards himself as an Aikido practitioner. And last week, me and Oliver um, met up online. We had a little bit of a, a chat about lots of things. We thought it was a, um, a fun and interesting conversation. So Oliver's kindly agreed uh, to come back on to repeat the conversation uh, for this podcast. So thanks for joining us, Oliver. <laughs> uh, Ian, thank you so much. You're one of my favorite humans on the planet to talk to. And pretty much the only one that I would have the same conversation with twice. <laughs> time. So this is going to be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, this is the intent anyway. This is the intent. So knowing what I'm like, it could go anywhere. So the, the, where we started, ways, which is interesting to me, is um, obviously in the karate world of the last 30 years, maybe something like that, there's been a lot of reevaluing the art, looking back to resurrect old practices, uh, introduce new modern practices, uh, try to make it as, as as relevant and functional to this world as it was to the Okinawans at the time they created it. And talking to you, you were telling me that the Aikido world is undergoing a, a similar, uh, um, uh, I don't know if revolution's the right word, but, but, a, but a similar process at the moment in the Aikido world. So if you could maybe just give us a bit of background on that, because I found that fascinating. Yeah, so we are kind of going through a little bit of a renaissance right now because um, we're probably about 10 years behind the karate world, if I had to guess, 10 to 15 years. But um, over the last few, uh, the conversation is really fired up between uh, factions in the Aikido world. No, Aikido absolutely can be a functional uh self-defense system or a combative system and there are those who say like eh, it was never designed for that um, 
and, and chasing that rabbit is distracting from its original intent. And then we're both throwing historical references at each other. And so we're really kind of at a boiling point, at least as far as, as I'm concerned, where I think we're going to see a, a split much like we've seen in the karate world where you've got guys doing the 3k style yeah. and, and they like that and they, they would like to perpetuate that. And then you've got a group that's like, no, I want to go back to the roots. How, how was this thing taught originally? And I'm sure that conversation's always, I mean, I, I know it's always been had, yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, we're definitely at a boiling point where uh, I can see a, a division between those two camps right now and it's getting more and more defined yeah so, uh, that that was why i approached you because you've you've been there done that right so <laughs> yeah which, which i found uh, uh, really interesting uh the, the, there's those uh parallels there and, and certainly within within the the karate world i think you do have those those two camps now maybe more you know you because you, 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 you do have the people who practice uh, an artistic, purely artistic form of the art for the love of the art, and I have no problem with that. Then you have people who uh, want that pragmatic bias, and obviously I'm heavily involved in that. I think that we do have those people who believe that the artistic version is pragmatic, and they're the ones I have the problem with, really. You know, So um, do you find there is that resistance to change on, on that kind of basis, that, you know, that everything's fine as it is, and why would you want to alter it? For a art that prides itself on its ability to adapt to whatever's coming to it, we've been shockingly resistant to any <laughs> type of change. Um, and, and I understand I, there's a lot invested, you know, uh, emotionally and in time. Um, and one of the things in, in having conversations, what I think gets lost sometimes is we don't actually have to choose. Um if you back up a little bit and you look at your art and go, there, there is a pragmatic, um, there's a, a pragmatic department, you know, and then there's artistic department. And one of the things that I, I love what you do, um, and I, I think you've said it at some point, the Marshall Matt podcast is one of the most yeah, yeah. popular podcasts, right? Is you've been able to look at the art through a filter and go, these are all valid. It's not yeah. that this is valid over here and this is, invalid over here so it's all valid it just needs to be put in the proper context and i think aikido is going through those growing pains where uh we haven't been able to step back far enough to go like this is all good mm -hmm. we just need to see where it all sits and, and I, I think to your point like uh, we do have a group that's like no the way it was originally taught uh, which is not the way it was originally taught. <laughs> well, that, that's another conversation. But this version of Aikido that tends to be more uh, about the art and the aesthetic, they're like, no, that's fine. If you have that, then you you check these boxes. And then we have another group that looks at it and goes, absolutely not. There's nothing about that that resembles um, modern-day violence. So we need to make some adjustments. Um, but then that can go too far and at at a certain point, you've completely abandoned the aesthetic. And I suppose I'm okay with that. I just think that it's unnecessary. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the beauties of all the martial arts is that they have these different uh, facets and we don't have to explore them all evenly, but there's room for, for us to explore them. So. No, 100%. Yeah, I think that's the thing. You just need to know what it is you're doing. So if you're doing something for historical interest or the fun and enjoyment of doing it or just the, the fun of learning a skill, 
you know, whether that skill is directly applicable to real world violence, you know, is irrelevant if your aim is to, I just want to learn a skill. You know, I, I have no problem that, with that at all. So th that leads us on to one of the topics we talked about last week, but I'm just going to um, uh, drop in Jamie Club, a uh, friend of mine who, um, a great martial arts thinker, Jamie. Before that self-defense side of things, he has a lovely analogy where he compares it to like first aid. He says, you know, it's like a, it's a life skill. Self-defense is like first aid. So if you go out and learn first aid, you'll learn these certain set of skills. Um, but that doesn't make you a brain surgeon or a heart surgeon. So, you know, within any martial art, you make sure you've got your first aid skills. And then if you want to excel in ground fighting, kicking, punching, weapons, whatever it is you want to excel at, then you can go and be the specialist, the surgeon, if you like, in that skill. But the fact is, you know, if... If, if I'm in a restaurant, mm -hmm. date the podcast by mentioning since COVID <laughs> times. It's a long time since I've been in a restaurant. But if I were, if I was next to a, a heart surgeon and I started choking, I want that heart surgeon to do first aid. I don't want him to do heart <laughs> surgery. Absolutely. You know I mean? so, yeah. So the, the fact that even the, if you're really skilled in a given area, when it comes back to the self-defense side of things, you'll, you'll all be doing the same things. So one of the things we talked about as well on that is that um, one of the things in the traditional arts, for better or for worse, the, the, the grading side of things is so key. Uh, and, um, and, and sometimes people uh, um, worry about, uh, the, 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 you know, it's nice if you can move around this martial map in the way that you want, but some people feel, well, I can't because I want to remain, uh, I want my grades recognized and, and they feel trapped a little bit by it. And I know what happens in the karate world. And you were saying that happens in the Aikido world too. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really fortunate to be a member of a very small independent organization that is very supportive of us um, looking outside of the curriculum as it was handed down to us. We can we can look. And in fact, our, our, my teacher often looked outside and was able to bring things in and put it through an Aikido filter. So that's kind of baked into our DNA. But I know that that's not like that everywhere. Uh, I've talked to several. Um, Aikido friends, just like, you know, that this is the curriculum. Like, this is what we, we have to do. This is what we're going to be graded on. And most of the Aikido world, if I had to make a generalization, and this is a generalization, but the grading really is based on an aesthetic. Mm. So uh, because we do not have a uh, typical sparring structure, because we do not engage in um, competition, uh, it kind of makes sense. Well, what else would you grade it on other than mm -hmm. how sharp the technique looks, uh, how you're moving, um, fluidity, those kinds of things, uh, which is excellent. I, I love all that stuff. I mean, that's mm -hmm. one of the, the beautiful parts of the art, but if you are interested in the pragmatic side, then you, you're not, that grading is, is Maybe not as functional as it could be. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, that's right. I, th I think that's one of the issues because sometimes in the grading, for those who are interested in that side of things, the pragmatic side of things, and we both acknowledge that not everyone is, and that's fine. Uh, but for those that are, uh, if they have a grading syllabus which never allows that uh, <laughs> or never promotes that, that uh, they often find themselves trapped that little bit. And as we've talked about, I think sometimes is that fear of losing the art. So from my perspective, you know, I. 
I used to compete in cutter way back. I was a cutter judge. Uh, I, I love to see good, sharp cutters. Sometimes when I'm doing my cutter, I'm not thinking about the applications. I'm just enjoying the movement. You know what I mean? I finish a cutter and think, God, it's a shame no one else got to see that. Because <laughs> I was really happy with that one, you know. So I, I'm not adverse to the aesthetic. I think sometimes as well, if you pursue function, there's an aesthetic that could sometimes grow out of that. Absolutely. You know, just the efficiency of movement. And I think, you know, you can get aesthetic by pursuing function. You don't necessarily get function by pursuing the aesthetic. But but that doesn't mean that, uh, and, and I know uh, Peter Constein, one of my main teachers, <coughs> very practically focused, but he's a grand believer in, you know, it needs to look crisp and sharp and nice, you know. There's that look and the, the, the function there for that, that, that high... Um, high quality skill. But as we're saying, you know, you don't need to do an awful lot really to get that self-defense box ticked and then you're free to move on and do all of that other good stuff um, as well. You know, you don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think, again, I've been fortunate. We've probably been sending students to you and we've been bringing you in and attending your workshops. We're, we're probably past a decade at this point. So, you know, we've been involved with your, with, uh, your teaching methodology uh, for a long time, uh, relatively long time. And in that training period, it, we've been able to see how you're able to layer like, okay, this is the solo kata and then there is an aesthetic to that. Here's a paired exercise. There is an aesthetic to that. And then when we, uh, I don't even end up. Tell me, I don't know which term you're using right now, but when you pressure test it, well, what is the term you're using? Yeah, right I mean, no, but pressure test is a perfect for okay. kata based sparring is the one I often use. Yeah. Okay, so when you do kata based sparring, uh, the aesthetic looks different. <laughs> you know, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. But you can see it. It's a, it's like an abstract, right? You know, you're stepping back and you're kind of going like, I, I see that. I see where that came from in the kata and yeah, all that. Absolutely. Well, I know that you've developed that over a long period of time. In Aikido, we haven't gone through those growing pains yet where we realize that the ugly -er portion of the martial art is an abstraction from those really beautiful ones. And so what has happened uh, right now in the discussion is if it's something that is very beautiful, well, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> you know, if it's something that's kind of ugly and a little bit rough and tumble, then you've got you guys. That's what we're talking about. But then you've got these other guys who go, "Well, that's not Aikido," and yeah. we have not gone through the phase that karate has, where we go like, "No, no, no, it's a spectrum, guys. It's not this or this. It's this and this modality." But as we're going to kind of de-evolve that as we move into this modality, but then we probably need to bring it back. You know, otherwise. Yeah injured or bored out of our mind. I mean, um, and so to your point, you know, you don't need much to check that box. Um, but right now I think Aikido, the Aikido community is in a place where we're trying to figure out what is that box yeah, what yeah. needs to go in there. And so if you, uh, there's a forum that I love and you talked to Tristan, uh, Tristan's yeah. a good buddy, man. I, lo I, I love talking to him and we love training together. But he's, he's got a forum, and it's the only forum that I'll participate in. It's called Aikido on the Marshall side. But people tend to be pretty civil there, and he's really good at um, shaving, you know, uh, yeah. any undesirables but out. Moderates right? it well. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. moderated very well. But even within that very civil conversation, the number one criticism you see leveled at any kind of pragmatic um, 
example is, well, then that's not Aikido. Yeah. And we just haven't made that jump yet. No, we- I, and I get that because, um, so to me, you know, when, when I watch that, uh, the cutter base sparring, I, I see the cutter. So I've got a couple of analogies that I'll, I'll throw out there, which may maybe help. So one quickly, and then I'll do one a little bit more in depth that both probably apply. So one of the ones I liken it to is if, you, if you're doing the uh, partner drills, compliant partner drills, or the, or the cutter, the solo representation that they have in karate, uh, because you're trying to isolate a specific idea, a specific principle, um, it's done in a cold way. So I like it to an ice sculpture. You can look at it and go, that ice sculpture is beautiful. <laughs> right Now, if you add the heat to that ice sculpture, you now have a, a fluid thing that will adapt to whatever it finds itself in. <laughs> you know, it's still the same stuff. Chemically, it's still water, you know, just in a different state. So, you know, you need to be able to recognize the fact, no, this is still the... the it's now been exposed to the heat of combat, and therefore it looks a little different. The, the other example, which I think probably works a little bit better for what we've been talking about, is the difference between the territory and the map. So you can get people who are, you know, very skilled cartographers who can draw beautiful looking maps, right? So, and but we understand the map is a representation of the terrain and it's something that's there to guide you through the terrain, but it is not the terrain. You know, the map is missing the wind, the dirt, the rain, the wild animals, the blistering sun, the, you know, it, it, it's all that kind of stuff. You know, when you get onto the, uh, the, the side of the mountain and you're freezing cold and wet and, and, and knee deep in, 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 in filth, you know, no one says, but the filth wasn't on the map. The wind wasn't on the map. You know, we go, yeah, we know. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you're now using the map in the terrain. You don't want to enter the terrain without a map because you've no idea where you're going. Uh, but we accept it will be, be different. And I think um, within the section of the karate community with which I primarily operate, that distinction is quite clear. You know, that, that you know, when you've got... You know, two people beat the living daylights out of one another you can see the cutter in it but you realize yeah they're using the map but the wind and the dirt of the terrain are there now as well you see what i love about that approach the, the that approach that you that you just described uh, is i know we've had a discussion where you were talking about a uh, i believe it was an mma gym or a craft school that called you in they just didn't want to see any of that that frou frou kata stuff, and then you like taught him techie shodan. You just didn't show him the solo part, right? <laughs> but it's like you said, it's all the same stuff. But what, what I love about that approach is by not throwing out the kata, the solo practice. I mean, to say um, you can cater to a wide variety of people, a wide variety of interests, or wide variety of needs. You could help somebody compete in a kata competition, or you could help somebody learn some practical self defense, and you haven't sacrificed any of that just kind of hanging out there. And and one of my fears is that, again, I do consider myself a more pragmatic minded Aikidoka, but one of my fears would be if we go too far down that line, we'll lose these really beautiful elements that we have to offer. um, Some people who maybe aren't as interested Mm. in art. Right. Um, But by that same token, and this is probably where we are now because we've spent so much time and leaned into the aesthetic um we we don't always have a lot to offer somebody who's looking for practical self-defense yeah yeah. so either way you're compromising you know but i love your approach because you you don't compromise you you just have 
the spectrum and just go, where do we want to be today? You yeah. know? And that's and, and, really hope yeah, our can go. It's one of the things that, because, um, you know, people's perception of me um, uh, is, uh, to use a quote of one of my teachers, like, he's a blood and snot martial artist. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and then, for example, there's been a couple of times where I put videos of me doing kata and various bits, and the, the people go, oh, you know, your kata's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. For Neanderthal, <laughs> yeah, like, it's not bad for stuff, right? You know, I've got grades and I've won trophies with it. You know, I mean, I, you know, it's not it's not just all of that. And I do enjoy now. I, mean, I must admit, when I was when I was younger, um, I, 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 I was one that was too far across. I think I've, my my approach to the martial arts has now broadened, where I can appreciate the aesthetic for the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the past, it was always yeah, it's a means to an end. You know, but but I, I now have a over the last whatever it's been 15 years or so uh, basically when i left my 30s so 20 years <laughs> um, i started to get a more uh, uh, open-minded uh, view of it i think the key is you just judge everything by its own value so if you're looking for an aesthetic then you judge it on the basis of the aesthetic if you're looking for function then you judge it on the basis of whether it's functional if, if you're doing that you've got it all but maybe then because we were talking about you know um and I think we've established that point, you know, that neither of us see the need to kind of um, abandon anything, just understand why you're doing it and for what purpose you're getting it. So one of the things that we chatted about last week was uh, some of the uh, requirements that we thought that um, even with all of that in there, with the art for art's sake and all the aesthetics and, the, you know, the physical fitness, the culture, if you into all of that, uh, the, the, the kind of things you should tick if you... Uh, definitely interested in self-defense and i would argue that even um uh, like a lot of combat sports for example who maybe don't care about the aesthetic they still don't have these things in place they still fall short often unknowingly when it comes to the self-protection side of things so you, you suggested that it might be a good idea to kind of just quickly go over uh, the the criteria we use within the wca Yes. On a, an approved syllabus, and, and I thought we could maybe just we'll use these as brief headings to kick off conversations, and you know, see 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 where it, it, it goes. You know what I mean? On, on each you've one, you've done a podcast on this, right? On if I'm correct, like you have you've done a, a podcast on this before? No, no, no. no. I have, I have done a podcast on uh, what I, I think a pragmatic uh, syllabus should contain, using my own syllabus as a reference. And talking specifically about karate, but I think these things uh, are broader than that. I, I, I think that it doesn't matter what art you do. You know, I mean, is, if you want there to be a self-defense component to your instruction and practice, I think these are general things that that everyone should have a look at. So, yeah. So right. they're here. So, here so, yeah. So we'll we'll, <laughs> uh, we'll we'll rattle through them and see if there's anything that kind of jump out. We can both jump at it from a you know a, both. You know, karate and you know, from your perspective and Aikido perspective too. So one of the ones we've got on there is uh, awareness, avoidance, and escape. So you know that we actually teach uh, these skills. So uh, in m- my experiences, most people, yeah, we do. And then you go, what do you do? All oh, my instructors always telling me to be aware. Does he tell you how to be aware? Does he tell you what to be aware of? <laughs> do you ever practice that awareness? Uh, do you ever practice escaping? Because I think that's a, that's another big one with uh, combat sports. The, 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 the whole rule sets are designed so that a person wins. A, a joke about, I once had a conversation with a friend and he said, I wonder if you could have true self-defense as a, a sport. Could you make <laughs> self-defense into a sport? You know, so it was like a little kind of thought experiment between the two of us. 
I said, well, you could. I said, but the guy who wins would be the guy who didn't show up. Yep. <laughs> so, I saw this clip of this boxing man, maybe a couple years back. I saw this. And so there's a guy, he's already in the ring, and he's got his game face on. The second boxer's coming down the line. He's got his game face on. He gets up to the ropes, pulls the rope down, lets the rope come back, turns around and walks straight back. <laughs> and people are booing and they're throwing stuff. And I'm like, that was the perfect self-defense scenario. He, <laughs> he saw a situation he wasn't sure he could handle and said, yeah, I'm going to go home. That's yeah, not I, that, you know? yeah, I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm not doing, doing that. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you think, you know, most combat sports have rules against uh, passivity and not engaging. You know what I mean? It's so yeah. you've got to get stuck in there and fight. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that's what, you know, they want the test and that makes yes, sense absolutely. to me. And, and I think in the traditional martial arts, they, 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 um, they sometimes fall into that trap and it's all about winning or, you know, dominating, controlling the person. And, and I think that, and, and the one that always gets to me as well is when people talk about escape, they, they, they falsely equate it with running away. And that's like a little bit of a bait and switch. So I hear that a lot where people will go, oh, yeah, no, but you can't always run away. I said, I didn't say run away. I said, escape. <laughs> you know, the, 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 like the, the physical act of running is just one part of it. You know, so you, know, you need to make sure that you can escape effectively. Where are you going to escape to? How are you going to draw attention to yourself? How are you going to make sure the other person can't follow you? You know, and, and these are things that, you know, I, I think that uh, every art, you know, and it's okay to fight to a conclusion too. We do that as well. You know, what I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But you acknowledge that that is no longer self-protection skills. That's now fighting skills. And I think a lot of the trouble. I don't know if this has been your experience as well, but I think a lot of the reason it's not taught is because martial artists don't know it because they weren't taught it. So, so they either give it lip service or downplay its importance with bait and switch to run away or something, something like that. I would say that's accurate. I mean, if you if you don't do something for a living where you may encounter violence, then, you know, why would you know what to look for unless somebody, mm. unless you've trained under somebody that did and they were able to tell you that. Mm. I mean, we think we know, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, we think we know a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of <laughs> so, but yeah, I would say that's probably accurate. It's just either wasn't in uh, the system or it wasn't, Taught systematically, uh, yeah, I, I would say that's accurate. Too, as we talked about last week, you know, for, for those people who want to do that, those resources are there. You know, what I mean, you know, you know, and and we're not talking about. It's not like you know, if you're a you know whatever art you do, you're a fifth dan in judo, and you want to start teaching a self defense component. It's not going to take you thirty years to, to get to grips with it. You know, you, yeah. you 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 know you can teach, learn these skills. And be able to pass them up to your students on comparatively compared to how long it takes you to get good at throwing, kicking, and punching on a comparatively short period of time. Yes. So you know, so you know, so if people haven't got that stuff, you know, there are resources out there. There are people who can teach you. You just got to find them. Yeah, it's never been better. It's never been a better time. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, and then find reputable sources. I mean, I suppose the, the downside of the internet age is there's lots of bad sources out there sure. as well. You know, and, and lots of perpetuated myths. But no, there, there are people out there who can really communicate this stuff effectively and will teach you how to teach it. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So, 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 so that's it. So that's one of the ones we've got on the list. The next one's fairly self-evident, uh, which is um, uh, uh, power generation and the use of impact equipment. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, we get this in karate at times where something looking powerful is mistaken for it being powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think, you know, the, the nice thing about power generation is it's, it's a nice, easy test. You know, you can immediately hit a well-held pad or a bag or something and, and you know whether that was a good a good shot or not. So I would say impact equipment is, is, is a must. I must admit, like, from the Aikido world, I, I don't really see, I mean, you know, the, there's a striking component to it, but... Uh, Focus mixing bug work is that people use that kind of stuff or so um I'm so we'll take those one one at a time. So power generation we're not bad at. Uh, yeah. most of the art is essentially figuring out how to be as efficient as possible. And when you were talking to Dan uh, a couple weeks ago, he made this wonderful point. It's one of those things where you're like, I'm so stupid. Like <laughs> but he was talking about how when we take the Ukeme, um we, you know, we always say the reason I'm taking a break fall is to protect my wrist. Yeah, but jumping into it so the wrist doesn't break. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. I'm not trying yeah, to get yeah. my wrist, my wrist not to snap in half, right? And I've never backtracked that enough to realize what that allows my partner to do is really let me have it, yeah. right? So, uh, on the one hand, uh, we're the equipment, and I, you know, so that's kind of the problem, <laughs> you know. Um, for the striking, um. We're getting better at the use of equipment. I'll tell you one thing for sure. COVID did anything. We got really good at using equipment. <laughs> so <laughs> we got to become geniuses with how to make things into other things. Uh, hey, this pool noodle, this is my arm. You know, this is what you're going to have to deal with right now. Or uh, So we're getting better at it. So when we do our atemi, uh, our, our striking, one of the problems with Aikido is if you look at the way it's the striking is traditionally taught. It's not a boxing platform. Mm. It's so it's a lot of upward movements or downward movements. So my palm strike is not going to launch out like a cross. Mm. It's going to come from underneath the chin, like a like a World War II chin jab. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Like that. Focus mitts are really bad for that. They're they're really really horrible for that. But like a medicine ball, we found has been really helpful mm. uh, because it's got that that sphere. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So we're able to do that. So we're getting more creative with the equipment, and I, I think that's just going to get better in time as we just as we figure out how do we do here because here's the the issue. A lot of times we go like, okay, Aikido is not really known for its striking, so what should we do? Well, hey, look at those Muay Thai guys over there; they know how to strike. Mm-hmm. And so then we go and we look at them, and they're like, yeah, but now you're just doing Muay Thai. That that doesn't plug into the Aikido the same way. Um, and if we use the equipment the way those guys do, you're kind of yanking us outside of our, our engine that makes us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the really exciting things to me for this next uh, phase of our history is how do we figure out how to use the equipment uh, better? I, I know uh, Guru Dan and Asano talks a lot about one of the things that made Bruce Lee genius was his use of equipment. So he was using football tackling shields as kicking. Shields. There's no kicking shields back then. Yeah, uh, and he said, um, "Now here's a little shout out to England for you." He said, <laughs> "You guys had focus mitts, but there were only three pairs of focus mitts in America during that time period, and Bruce Lee owned all three of them. So <laughs> what they were doing is they were going and they were buying um, flip flops, and they were using flip flops as focus mitts. You know, yeah, he was just really ahead of his, his time, and that's really inspiring. You go, all right, how can we use the equipment?" Um, to help us do do things uh, that still fall within our realms. I, I'm, I don't have a good answer for you. That's a long way of saying. You know, that's really <laughs> yeah. 
I think I, I see the same thing with the karate as well, because obviously, you know, the, the focus is uh, um, primarily a boxing tool, I think it would be fair to say. And uh, But what I find with a lot of karate people is when you put them on the focus bits, they want to become boxers. And I say, no, no, you need to be using your, your headbutts, your knees, your elbows, your slaps, even clawing actions on, on, on the pads. You know, you need to use the kit in a way that's relevant. They are. So that's, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, so the next one we've got on the list, which is a given, and we can probably jump right past it, but it's, uh, that if they're doing the, the kata, which not everybody does, of course, but if they're doing the kata, then we would expect them to be doing the uh, the applications of those forms as well. You know, that, that's generally when in the W. I would recommend it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be my that would be my recommendation. Yeah, because yeah, because it, it just it just get, but of course not all of them do. So the next one we've got yeah. is uh, uh, combative physical conditioning. So acknowledging that you know uh, um, situations are, are fast, explosive. The human body will be under a great deal of stress. So if the person is able to, and of course not everybody is, but if they're able to um, experience those uh, sensations in training, that will help them if they have to uh, experience them realistically. So, so uh, again, you know, is, is that something that, you know, the, the physical conditioning, the, the mental conditioning to deal with that physical stress? Again, in the karate world, it's inconsistent. Some do, some don't. You know, so how is it for the Aikido? Inconsistent. I'd say inconsistent. Yeah. If you go a full hour class of taking new keme, it's a killer workout. Mm. Uh, and it's full body. I mean, so if we get thrown down in an arm bar, you got to get back up. So it's like doing a push-up every single time yeah. you're down there. And then the rolling and the break falls, they'll, they'll take a toll on you. Um, but we also, if you look historically, there was a shocking amount of outside physical conditioning in those early Aikidoka. I mean, they're out in the freezing weather, like carrying logs and using the sword, <laughs> smashing into trees. And um, so I think that is a component that maybe we're, we have moved away from, but I would say inconsistent. Some yeah. schools you're definitely going to be drenched by the end of a class. And there's some schools where they, they hit some of the uh, more connection work and you're not going to, I mean, it's not physical at all. It's yeah. they're exploring something else. And I'm not slamming that, but to your point, that doesn't tick off that box. No, no, no. So that would be the, the main issue with that. Yeah. Yeah. Just to briefly touch on one of the points you made there. That was something my uh, judo instructor remarked to me that uh, the getting thrown, he said, there's nothing like it for hardening you. You know, no. and, and I, you know, I thought I'm used to people kicking and punching me, but I tell you something: when you've been slammed into the ground by an international level judo player, you know, three or four hundred times in a session, <laughs> yeah, you know, what I mean? it, it hardens you. Because again, it's funny. The first kind of few months, it's oh my god, and then after a certain point, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm used to this now. You know, yeah, yeah. So the next one is, you know, that I. Uh, uh, practical approach to martial arts is that now is training in all uh, combative uh, methods or, or ranges. I'm never quite happy with range because I always say, you know, you can kick a guy when you're on the floor. So it's like ground fighting or kicking range, yeah. you know, it's not like you, you stop. What if you clinch with somebody, you can still hit them. So it's that striking range or grappling range. So acknowledging that a lot of people use the word range and therefore we stuck to it to degree and, and, and different arts will beside emphasize different ones to different degrees. But, but I, I always think, you know, you need to have some skill um, in all of them. You know, and again, within the karate world, I think that's inconsistent. They tend to be exceptional mid to long range kickers and punches. 
Close range striking, not so good. Uh, stand up grappling depends on the, the group. Trapping skills depends on the group. Uh, ground fighting, some don't do any at all. You know, um, you know, was my thing is I always say I want my dan grades, karate dan grades, to the, be the equivalent of about orange belts or green belts in judo. So okay. they're not experts by any means, mm -hmm. but they've got that backup plan if all goes wrong. You know what I mean? They've got those skills. So I mean, how does that work, Aikido wise? Are people, you know, are they, are they happy? I mean, accepting that you know, there'll, there'll always be a given area, the heart surgeon thing again, which a given heart wishes to excel at. So, for example, you know, if, you're, if I was a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy, I wouldn't expect them to be able to strike like a boxer can or a karate guy can or, or, or anything like that. But if they've learned a handful of basic strikes, you know, they'll probably have all they need for self-defense purposes. You know what I mean? And then they can excel in the ground fighting. So is something similar happening in the Aikido world? Or? That one's a, a tricky one because it's kind of what we were talking about earlier. Like We don't know what we don't know, right? Yeah. So – we're really reliant on our members of the Aikido community who have cross-trained and we kind of have to trust them to go like this is like, so for example, if we have um, somebody who's, who's a high level BJJ player and, and we can ask them like, what is the minimum we need to have for the ground? And then we kind of have to trust that guy that yeah. he's, he's going to do that. And if we said, um, what is the minimum amount of boxing that we need? Well, we have to have somebody who's a high level I don't know how high level, but a high level boxer to go like, look, you need to at least be able to do these things. The um, w one of the worst things in the Aikido uh, community, as far as the face that we put forward, is uh, if you I don't recommend you do this, but if you want to like <laughs> have a bad day one day, go look up uh, Aikido versus a jab, or go look yeah. up Aikido versus boxing. It's getting better because we are getting high-level Aikido boxing cross-training. But for a long time, you would get an Aikido person's version of boxing, which yeah, yeah, yeah. is not boxing. <laughs> not even punch. It's barely punching. <laughs> um, so that's really difficult because if we go like, see, we know how to deal with a boxer. And I'm like, but do you though? Because that's not anything uh, – that's not going to prepare you at all, you know? So we, we are reliant on people who've come before us to go like, this is really where you're at at a minimum. Groundwork, this is where you're at a minimum. And this is where I feel like um, having friends who are outside of the Aikido community is so important because you, you can – I can look at you and go, hey, Ian, like what's the minimum amount of karate striking – Mm. If I didn't do karate, I do karate, but if I didn't do it, like, yeah, yeah. how much kicking do I need, really need? And I bet you could show me in a couple of hours. 100%. You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's something else that we talked about, you know, when mm. we had this uh, initial conversation mm. was that you don't, nobody can be an expert in everything. You don't need to go and study a dangre and everything. You can get that modular learning. So mm -hmm. if you feel you're missing a, a, an area completely, Go find that expert, explain what your objectives are. And if you find the right one, they'll say, oh, yeah, I, I can give you the basics, you know, in, in a short seminar, short series of seminars, and then you can go and play with it. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So my judo instructor, for example, he, we did seminars together where he would teach the karate guys to throw. You know, so, so, so what he would do is he would pick simple throws because, you know, they don't need to know 
fancy complex throwers that have got outsmart and really experienced yeah. thrower. They just need basics. And then before we did that, he he would ask me, okay, it, it, you as a karate guy, um, how would you get into this position? You know, what would lead you to be here? And I would talk about that. And if, if someone was here, what would your instinct be? Well, I wouldn't put my head there because I'm going to get like elbowed or need or, okay, but if I moved here, oh yeah, that would that that was it. So there was that kind of little back and forth so that we made sure that it, 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 it interlaced, it gelled yeah. together. Uh, but we're still super basic skills that, you know, that people could pick up and, and, and run with. They just need that basic level of understanding. What you're talking about, though, is so important. What you're talking about is collaboration. Yeah. For the Aikido world, in my opinion, for the Aikido world to che check off some of these boxes, we need collaboration. Uh, and I'm kind of torn here because on the one hand, I feel like there's value. There's obviously there's value in emptying your cup and going like I'm strapping on a white belt. I'm walking in there completely a blank slate and just I'm going to absorb this system. And we're really fortunate that people have done that because now we have those high level <laughs> boxers and BJJ guys and kickers and weapons people and you know all of that. But on the other hand, if you're going, I just want this section, then you need to have a relationship with somebody who can meet you halfway and is willing to ask those questions. Yeah. 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 Well, well, how would you do this? Or like, I wouldn't do that dude because you're, you're going to get stabbed or you're going to get, you know, shot or, you know, Oh no, you're going to get thrown. So if you can have relationships uh, where that collaboration is there, I really see a path forward, you know, more so than just like, diving into one of these arts wholeheartedly and you may never it may take you 10 years before you have the skill set to circle yeah. back to your original art you know no, that's it so when i did uh, uh, judo my aim was to to do judo to do ju ju judo i wanted to do some you know so that that, yeah. that was it and i went there to learn the sport of judo uh, in, in terms of what i then took back to the karate it was a relatively small percentage of it so for example i don't need skills to turn a guy who's face down onto his back so i can win a bout Right. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? So there's things that like we spent a lot of time learning those things, but in our context, we don't we don't need them. But I think the, the other thing with that is again, it's like we talk. Th those people are out there. If you find yourself talking to a person who's resistant and insists that you know, no, I, I need at least a ten year commitment from you, go find another guy. He's not mm -hmm. the right guy. Yeah, you know. And and I think the nice thing about this, um, certainly in the UK, because uh, cross training is quite uh, relevant. There's a lot of those people in your own art. You know, I mean, for example, right, in my own club, um, we've had two judo instructors who train in karate and have both kind of done judo for decades and decades and decades. So so we have that in-house resource yeah, as, as well, you see. So, And, and myself and one of the other uh, senior instructors have trained in judo too. Uh, but the other two senior instructors never have, but they've still got enough from what we've picked up and from the resources we have in, in the club as well. So that's that's interesting. That's That's, yeah. That's a really good point. So the next one we've got on the list, which we've kind of touched on, is this holistic live training. You know, so, you know, if you're going to be able to do it live, you need to have practiced doing it live with safety precautions and everything in, in, in place. And you mentioned earlier, you feel that's something that Aikido still has work to do on. Absolutely. That is going to be, I think, our next, uh, amongst some of these other things we discussed, our next big shift in terms of making a more pragmatic approach so uh, historically uh i think this is what happened so 
when I go through your seminars, we go through your seminars. I, if you have not gone to an Ian seminar, when <laughs> the world opens back up, make sure you go to an Ian seminar. And I can give you a sneak preview of how it's going to go. You're going to evaluate a couple of movements of a kata, and then you're going to, to, to look at an application just briefly, and then you're going to put it back in some sort of live drill where failure is introduced. At, yeah, at, yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, but you've gone through all of those stages. Well, this is the way Aikido went. All right. The sensei is up there, and he shows a move. And then the two very young pre-war practitioners, probably in their 20s, got together. And then they spent an hour not letting each other do those techniques, basically. <laughs> and that was like the live training, you know? That's an awful way to learn. That's a yeah, terrible yeah. way to learn anything, right? So what I – and this – again, we, we've talked about this briefly last week. You are really popular in the Aikido circles, right? <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Because if we watch a Muay Thai guy or a boxer or a BJJ or a wrestler, but man, that's really cool drill. I don't see how I can adapt that. But when we look at your drills, we like, that's close. We, yeah, that's yeah. really, really close to what we, we could maybe extract a drill. And not maybe, I do. We, we absolutely <laughs> extract stuff from your workshops and put it into an Aikido context. So once we get a good handle on what that process looks like, I really think that our um, that shift to the teaching methodologies, we're just going to be sore. Yeah. We just haven't dialed in yet on, on the right way. And again, I'm speaking for myself. I can't speak for everyone because I know someone's listening here going, well, we figured it out. Maybe yeah. it is. Good for you. I'm glad. <laughs> There's a lot of us that are still working on it, right? Um, but when we make that shift, we realize like, it's not just – compliant training partner or fight to the death. Like there are things maybe in between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if we can gradate that, you know, um, I, I think we're going to be very successful. I, I think Aikido has the framework for it, but we just have to figure out, well, what does a wrist escape look like under pressure? And then what does a throw look like if the guy's not going to let you and, and, and those types of things. But I have high hopes. I, I think we're moving in the right direction. I think looking at people like you is going to help quite a bit so i'm i'm optimistic yeah yeah well i think that, that that's a key thing is this idea that it has to be progressive and structured you know and i think most people don't teach sparring they do sparring and there's a big difference between those, those two things oh my goodness that's the most true thing i've ever heard you say <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like for example you know people go well, when do they start sparring well, the first night you know what I mean? But, but, but it's not a case of, okay, put the head guard on and wander over there and that black belt will beat the living daylights out of you. Mm -hmm. We've got very simple drills because I think what you want to do is build people's confidence and abilities. So you've got that progression. And then you've also got the kind of drills where you go, well, I want to isolate a specific skill. I want you, I want you to get you good at countering this specific method or, or, yeah. or this thing. So having that structured way to approach it. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a joke I do with seminars as well. You know, and I always say, okay, we're going to do some sparring. I'm going to allow headbutting, biting, eye gouging, gripping the throat, hitting the groin. And people are terrified. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's what on earth have we signed up for? And then when I built, show them how you can build it up. Yeah, you know, and then the normally black belts at most of my seminars are experienced people. We get you know a good few Q grades too, but most of them are experienced people. So I can get them doing that within an hour, right? In a way that's safe. And I always point out that when they finish doing the drills, they're not like punting for breaths or, or terrified. They're normally laughing and smiling, and that was fun. And like, yeah, you know, it can be. You've just got to structure it uh, correctly. Yeah, well, so which brings on the next one as well, actually, because I think one of the things with live training is. 
uh, you need to be aware of what the objective is. So we'll have sparring drills where the objective of this drill is to give you the skills to outfight another martial artist that you've agreed to fight. So when we're standing up with our guards up and we're throwing jabs and crosses and low roundhouse at a distance, that's one skill set. But we also have live drills where we're going to practice um, dealing with dialogue live. We're going to kind of run these scenarios. You're going to practice escaping live. You're going to practice defending someone else live. So that would fall under the heading generally of like scenario training where you, you cause I think that's one of the things that it kind of bugs me a little bit. You hear this a lot where people go, oh, for self-defense, you can't beat combat sports because they do everything live. And, yeah, but they do the wrong things live. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? You know, it, it, yeah. it's, it's, you know and, and I use the analogy, if you wanted to be a good uh, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu player, you wouldn't go and take a boxing on the argument, well, boxers do it live. You'd acknowledge it's a different skill set. So I, th I think we need those realistic, uh, and I always say re realistic isn't real. You know, there's always some yeah. compromises in the name of safety. Only real is real. But you can get pretty close, you know. So scenario training is is, is one that, and, and again, you know, I, I think part of the problem I have is I'm moving my circles. So I get a kind of kind of myopic view of how it all works. But, but I think, you know, uh, I think even, even those that do live training tend to be focused on outfighting another martial artist. The scenario training isn't where I think it needs to be yet. Um, do, do we get that in Aikido too, the, the um, scenario training? Does, does, that, does that appear or is that on the radar yet? The, uh, Again, I, I accept as well, just for you and everyone who's listening, I know you can't speak for the whole of the Aikido world. Yes. So I'm merely asking from your experience of Aikido. I think it's getting... Uh, I, I can really actually only speak for our school. Yeah. Uh, we on so before pre-pandemic, we would do this thing we'd call street clothes night, right? It would be once a month. We're not in our geese, we'd wear what we would normally wear out. And on that day, we would try to apply what we were our, our curriculum to more scenario-based modalities. So we would go like, all right, uh, we put two chairs there, one here, one here. It's like you're in an airplane. Perfect. Uh, Right. And you go, like, yeah. you, know, you know, that that footwork that we do every single class where it's really fluid and circular ain't going to be able to do it. And so we problem solve it um, or we'd say, like, all right, now you're up against the wall, you know. Um, and I don't know if you've ever been to our facility. It's really not geared for scenario based training. So, <laughs> um, we do our best. You know, we do our best. But I can totally see. I think Aikido lends itself to that kind of problem solving because uh, we're, we're pretty fluid in terms of our variation. So we could go, like, all right, well, this is what we're working on, but here's five other things that might look like, depending on what the UK is doing. So I, I think, again, we've got the right mindset for scenario-based training, but I could tell you for a fact that most of us are not doing it. Yeah. We do have one scenario baked in to our, into our system which is what we refer to as Rondori, which is not like Judo Rondori. It's uh, one person, uh, multiple attackers. Sensei says, go, you hop up, and then the multiple attackers kind of work as a team to try to immobilize the one. And so that guy's job is basically don't get caught. Don't get punched. Don't get grabbed. Don't get yeah. and And the intensity can vary. But you know what I've never been allowed to do in a Rondori is run off the mat. Yeah, yeah. Right? What, if I had done that at a test, I probably would have failed my test, right? Yeah, you, you, you read my mind. That was exactly the point I was about to make. 
you know, I, I think that's the thing when, when they do um, uh, martial arts are bad for this as well because they like martial arts because they're martial yeah. artists. So, so therefore, when they do the scenario training, they always want to conclude it with a fight. So, you know, we've had scenarios. For example, you know, uh, one of the ones we, we, we do is, well, I'll get, um, say, like a queue. So you're standing in the queue and the person at the back of the queue suddenly starts shoving and pushing and getting aggressive, you know. And then, you know, the amount of people go into a fight and they go, just leave the queue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go to a different bar. Um, uh, go and tell airport security if you're clearing on a plane, just leave the queue. So, uh, uh, you know, or, or they'll do scenarios where it always ends in a fight. You know, well, sometimes right. what about being able to talk your way out is that an option in the scenario drills yeah. you know you know there the needs to be that there brilliant which brings me to the next one the line is, is multiple uh opponents as well i think that that's um i also think the opponents is a word that everyone uses but in my own um and this is just me in my own thinking i i when i'm talking about self-defense i i tend to use the word criminal or enemy because mm -hmm. I, I think that creates a better mindset whereas opponent is someone that I think lends itself more to consensually agreed uh, fighting, you know. Right. But be some multiple opponents, multiple enemies, multiple criminals, and, and, and I think part of the argument often with that, I think that's another one that martial artists try and dodge. So they go, well, well you can't outfight multiple opponents, and, and, and I go, well, you know, you can, but it's very difficult. But, yeah. that, but because it's so difficult, that's right. You try and escape them, mm -hmm. so you need to practice the skills to generate space to cause chaos. To understand how the group dynamics work within within groups, uh, to use distraction, someone help, to remove motivation for them to giving chases, a whole host of elements there. Uh, and and when I see a lot of karate guys do multiple opponents, what they normally do is they spar with one person, then spar with another one, then spar with another one. Yeah, they're not they're not getting that chaos of them all coming at once, uh, and they're not. Uh, they're not looking for the objective of escape. And so it's interesting to hear that's similar to what happens in the Aikido. Have world. you ever seen an Aikido Rondori before? Have you yeah, just, just you know, like most okay. people, YouTube clips and things like that. I think there, like I said, it, there's some stuff there that I, I felt like a really resonated with the, your approach to multiple people, which is uh, evasion, escape. The, but again, it's just the way that that drill is set up. It's like you you, you keep re-entering that fight, you know, yeah, yeah. over and over and over and over and over again, which is weird because if you see a really good Rondori, the initial encounter lasts three three seconds, right? Guy pops up. If he's really good at what he's doing, he's chosen a good angle. He's darted. He's stacked everybody. They're tied up for a second. That should be it. The end. You should be yeah, out. Go, right? go, go. Yeah, yeah. So, but then what we do is we, we re-engage. And that's okay because that's that's the nature of the drill. We just need to acknowledge that. that, that yeah, yeah, you're isolating right? a moment in time. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and I think that, that thing of um, – because the, the thing that – you know, when we're under stress, we are not good at thinking. You know what I mean? We, we're not. The, the, you, I, I always make the analogy that, you know, at one point in history there was – cavemen standing there spears in hand looking at a woolly mammoth running towards it and the people who freaked out and ran we're the ones we descended from them the person who sat there and thought how do i solve this problem got flattened you know yep. stamped flat by the woolly mammoth, right? so so it's hardwired in our biology we're not we, we don't think we act 
uh, and therefore i think that one of the dangers with uh, not practicing escape is your subconscious brain if we want to simplify it won't acknowledge that opportunity because you've never looked for it and that, yeah. that's one of the problems with uh, combat sports for self-defense as well is they're always looking for that win you know whereas you know if you practice it and drill it and, and i've had this as well is you know i uh, i've had this i've had students who've escaped very dangerous situations because it was their instinct to escape as soon as it was appropriate to escape mm -hmm. you know one girl attacked by like a knife wielding guy she slapped him in the head kicked him in the groin grabbed a colleague and ran you know and, and she said she said it was just exactly what we practiced you know i mean she didn't turn and run she yes. escaped. She made sure he wasn't escaped, capable yeah. of immediately giving escape, and and then she escaped in such a way that he wasn't able to give um, give effective chase. You know, and then the other, just as a little aside, you also need to practice. What if your escape fails and the the people give chase? Normally, things are heard a little bit when you run because not everyone mm. runs at the same speed. But there's another skill set there. Well, so the next, oh, I'm sorry. As, as one of the things I love about your approach, and I and I always love the way you teach this, is you do teach a a, uh, it's not a hundred percent. Nothing's a hundred percent, right? Maybe escape works. Maybe fighting. Works. Oh we yeah, yeah. Had an incident uh, here here in America. An eleven year old girl uh, was walking home. Someone hops out of a car, went to grab her. She flailed for a good two to three seconds. The dude turned and he escaped. You know, <laughs> like you just don't know. But I love that you said you always go like, look. Here is a myriad of of responses be versed in them you know because you don't know what's going to work you know? no that's it that's a, another thing that uh, that combat sports are much better at than traditional martial arts right because traditional martial arts is if a technique fails they tend to think oh i did it wrong mm -hmm. you're not always not always you know maybe the guy counted it well or, or, or yeah. maybe you know the, 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 it's so i always like i mean this is a completely pulled out the air statistic but i tell me on students on your best day on your best day right about 60 percent of the things you try will not have the intended consequence that you hope for yeah. on your best day you know what i mean so more things are going to fail than not i mean you look at pro boxers you know it's not the first guy to land a shot knocks the other one out you know what yeah. i mean it's just not the way that these things work and i always say if you knew the technique uh, this is important to make it seminars if you knew the technique that worked 100 percent of the time against 100 percent of the people and was perfect for 100 percent of all contexts we can just all learn that and we're done martial arts is over yeah but as far as i'm aware that technique is yet to be discovered so until it does we always need a plan b c d yeah. e and f you know what yeah, i mean we don't have that technique in america yet either so <laughs> yeah. Get that, like. yeah what do you mean get some you know just shoot him or just kick him in the ball <laughs> something it doesn't work that way no you know? it does not work that way no so the, the, the next one we've got is uh, uh armed dealing with um with with armed opponents so and again for me on that one i, th I think even those that do deal with it often deal with it badly you know, it's um uh, you know my weapons defense stuff is super simple because it, it's a one area of martial arts where i don't play where mm -hmm. i don't do we'll do this just for fun it's like everything i do is is as simple as we can make it and to try and have the highest chance of success as as, as possible no clever disarms no, nothing like that you know it's all stuff and primarily aimed on on scrambling the guy's brain so you can get yeah. out of there as quickly as, as possible you know that so. that one we 
Aikido is going to have to take a real hard look going forward at how we want to approach weapons because weapons are built into our DNA. Hmm. Staff, sword, and dagger. Um, the sword and the staff are pretty nice because we can look at them as historical yeah, yeah, yeah. curiosities, you know? But once you get to the dagger, most of our approach is just doing regular Aikido, but the guy has a dagger. Yeah. Which is awful. <laughs> That's like an awful approach to a, a, a knife situation. So I, I'm, I am always searching for best practices when it comes to, to knife. With, with the other weapons, like, I'm perfectly fine just going, like, look, guys, like, unless you're sweeping – and you're attacked, and you just happen to have your broom. Like you're probably not going to use the staff, <laughs> right? Like it's now. I will say, I am from Texas. We are legally allowed to carry swords here. <laughs> we are legally allowed to carry them, but um, most people do. No, there's no but. We can carry swords. That's amazing. Like that's incredible. But short of that, like it's a historical curiosity, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's it. I mean, for me, for the uh, uh, within the karate system I come from, there, there are swords defenses within that mm-hmm. uh, that the founder primarily got from his jujitsu background and there are knife defenses in them but my instructor was the first he abandoned them so he said you know the sword stuff is fine for what it is but i'm not really interested in it mm-hmm. and the knife stuff is bad yeah so you know so so, so uh, I, I i know them vaguely because i've had a look at them and, and meet, meet, met his conclusion but again, again it goes back to the thing you know if people want to do that historical stuff too there's no problem with that but i think they need the pragmatic stuff there as well and the final one we've got the final is uh, legal issues you know that the people are because it's one of my pet hates you know is that you know you can't think about the law in a fight and i go you're right so you need to think about it beforehand and have it fully invented <laughs> in training right like yeah just yeah. so my um uh Again, I, I, these days I, I try and be careful with my words because I realize you, you get them wrong and, and people can really get it. So I say for self-protection, I always say the aim is to avoid harm. So it's not to win the fight or street fight, another term that I hate because it's, you know, sort of street fight, yeah. self-defense, yeah. yeah. So it, it's avoid harm. And within that, I'll include physical harm, but also legal harm. You know, so so if if I if some guy tries to glass me, right, and and, and I, I don't, is glass a verb in the U.S. as well, or is that uh, blast? Glass, glass. No, we don't have that one. I like that. No, one. no, no that's. A, I realized that when I said it. Sort of smash a glass and stick it in someone's face. And that's a. I know we use it as a verb here as well as a noun. <laughs> it all the time. Right? Yeah, yeah. So you've got like, like the no one can see, but you and I are on video, so I've got the glass uh-huh. I've got in my hand, right? Which. So that the noun, but the, the, to, to glass someone is to strike them with a, a broken glass. I'm going to so train on that on Tuesday. Pardon? We're going to train on that on Tuesday. That's yeah. You always know you're in a rough pub in the UK if it's plastic glasses. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got a plastic glass, you know one too many people has had a broken glass. See, so this is a rough pub. <laughs> uh, if it's if the glass, then you know it's generally a better place to drink. But but um, so so if I was in that scenario and someone tried to glass me, right, and, and I, I deal with that in such a way that I don't get glass, but I completely overdo it and I create bad witness perceptions and it all goes wrong in court and I end up in prison. Uh, there's harm there to me. There's harm to my family. So I always think. That side of things needs to be covered too. And as you and I talked about next week, you don't need to be like a lawyer or solicitor or barrister. You, you just need to, um, for you and yourselves, have an understanding of uh, what the law and the uh, and the way it works is, 
mm-hmm. so that your training is not likely to cause legal problems. Like, for example, I remember watching, I was in the UK and I was standing with Mark McYoung. He was teaching in the UK. So Mark McYoung, excellent reality-based self-protection instructor. And while we were having a break from teaching, we're looking through the window and there's a, a, a martial arts class going on through the window of this other room. And, and the, the, uh, the, this guy uh, did a, um, a disarm, which in itself was fairly questionable. And then he took the knife off the guy and then proceeded to pretend to ice pick him with it about 10 times. So Mark just went, okay, he's in jail right there. You know, yeah. so th- th- there's those kind of things. So, yeah, the legalities, I would say, in the UK, there's been that's been well established. There's been a lot of people who've really pushed that within the karate community. So I think overall, uh, it's, it's still nowhere near where it needs to be. Um, and we have senior, like Lee Sims, for example, is a you know, well-known practical karate here who also works as a solicitor. So he's the ideal guy to impart this information. Um, but 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 is that is 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 the legalities? Do you find that that's something that's discussed or overlooked? Uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I mean, because you're very state to state. I don't even know how you would approach it unless you took responsibility for it yourself. You know, because even if I, as an instructor, did some research, which means what does that mean? I got on, I got online and looked some stuff yeah. up, like. I, I, you got to tell your students, like, this is on you guys. Like, you are responsible for your own understanding. Um, and you, you said something a little bit ago that really hit me. You know, you can't think of the law in a fight. I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to call shenanigans on that. Because <laughs> professional fighters absolutely keep the rules. In yeah. shape. Like, when they're they're getting beat on or beating someone out, like, you are absolutely held responsible for your understanding of the rules while you are, are, are doing it. Yeah, they are, but I, 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 I would also say, but, but they are conditioned to fight within those rules. Within, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I think that's... Conditioned to fight within our rules. Yeah, exactly, too, and that's know? the thing, you, you need to, because it's like Rory Miller's line, which is a beautiful line, where he says, you know, that martial art is better to be judged by 12 than carried by six, <laughs> and, you know, which is, again, it's one of those lines that martial arts used to absolve them of the responsibility of looking at this issue. But as Rory Miller points out, it's a false choice. You can yeah. legally defend yourself, not get harmed, and not go to prison too. Yeah. You just need to have an idea of, of, of what it is that you um, you need to do. So, I mean, here, you know, again, that's the thing. If you go to people who know this stuff well, so you do it as modular learning. Or for me, what I do is, because obviously I have no legal training, is, is I point my students in the direction of what I know are good and trustworthy resources. You know, so I'll go, you know, go learn this and then we're going to have a conversation about it. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, one of the best ones, you know, just if anyone's listening to this from, it, it, you know, it's the, the UK is essentially four nations, you know, so it, Northern Ireland and Scotland are different, but England and Wales are the same when it comes to self-defence law. But the Crown Prosecution Service, who are the people that the uh, police pass cases onto and they believe it's, you know, yeah, there's enough evidence to warrant a prosecution for this person. What do you think? And they have a fantastic resource on self-defence, you know, online, which is aimed for police officers. And it's, it's those question and answer style format. Can you preempt? Yes, you can. Do you need to uh, um, uh, try and escape first? No, you don't. But it may be considered, you know, what, 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 how do we define reasonable force? This is what it is. And there's where the law. So, so we've got good resources we can point people to. But I, my, my limited understanding of the US, of course, it's a lot more complicated because you've got, you know, all those different states that all have their own little interpretations. And yeah, the Aikido community has got change, work to do. 
Yeah. You know, laws change here. We just had a, uh, a firearms law change here this week. Um, so, you know, even if let's say I was a firearms instructor, that means what I taught two weeks ago is no longer relevant. Yeah. You know, yeah. So that's one where I, I think your approach is right. Find good resources, steer your students there, make sure they understand they are responsible for that knowledge. And two, like who comes to a karate class or an Aikido class to hear us yap about yeah, like, see, the, like, who wants to do that, right? Yeah. See, that, that's a good point, you see. Is because So if I was teaching a, a pure self-defense course, I have a series of slides on what the law says and where mm -hmm. they can find better information. So I'll give them an overview to reassure them about it because basically I want to get them to the point where they're not worried about it mm -hmm. uh, and then tell them where they can find resources. In the martial arts class, I'm not going to say, okay, everyone, tonight I've got the PowerPoint presentation set up. I want you to sit down because they're there yeah. to do martial arts. So it, it kind of more gets infused into the training where if we're doing preemption drills, for example, I'll talk about the law as regards preemption. If we're doing a drill that involves uh, dropping a guy at the ground, I'll talk about uh, when you deliver a finisher to make sure it's appropriate and to make right. sure you consider witness perceptions for what you've done and to create the, the, the right habits so that, you know, when people see you running away, it's clear that this is a guy who doesn't want to fight. You, you don't. So I always point to karate tournaments for that because it's a nice. Yeah. So if you look at karate tournaments, they'll, they'll do a takedown, they'll punch the guy in the head on the ground, and they'll do a massive scream because they want everyone to see it and they want the maximum points, right? right. They want the moment of glory. And that's exactly the right thing to do in that context. In MMA, you knock a guy down the ground, you jump on top of him, and you keep whacking him until the referee pulls you away. That's the right thing to do in that scenario. Both of those things in self defense. Even if up until that point you've acted legitimately, you will convince witnesses that you are the aggressor. Absolutely. You know, and the criminal's gonna lie. So it's that thing of developing the habit of retreating in such a way that it's obvious that you, you know, you've got your hands up, you're in a passive gesture, you're saying, stay down, don't hurt me, don't hurt me. These, mm -hmm. these are the kind of habits you can instill in training, which will make sure that under pressure, the more likely to do the right thing, which will see them avoid legal harm as well. Well, and, and at a minimum, I like what you said is, you know, if an Aikido, we bring people down all the time, you know, and modern Aikido, we tend to uh, control, but in pre-war Aikido and, and, it, and it's coming back in vogue, you know, you're taking them down and you're delivering a finishing shot. It's, 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 it's samurai ground and pound, right? Only yeah. represent a Tonto or something like that. So even if you just said, make sure you are, uh, justified to do this, even if you don't know if you are or not, at least you're instilling the idea of like, you will be held to a standard. Like yeah. this is not happening in a vacuum. You know, um, if, if you guys are getting into a fight over a sporting event, you know, outcome, that's a problem, right? Yeah. That's a, and even if I don't know what the exact rules are on, on uh, mutual combat, I'm at least instilling the ideas like you will be held to the standard Take it upon yourself to figure out, you know, what <laughs> what that is. Um, I mean, I just as a minimum, I like the way that you just say, just keep keep letting people know that like the law is a factor. You must yeah. know it. You must abide by it. Um, even if I can't relate to you it exactly, just know that. No, and, and again, but it can be simple things like training that habit as well. So absolutely, you know, if, if you're doing a fighting drill, then by all means you know, continue onto the ground with them, you know, continue to punch them, whatever it is. 
but get into the habit of, of retreating is an instinct. Yeah. You know, I mean, when it's possible to do so, that alone will, will really help and, and considering those perceptions. So, yeah, I think we've, we've <laughs> um, covered all the, the, the key ones there. So this, uh, this for me has been really interesting. I'm always fascinated to learn about, <coughs> excuse me, um, because because I exist within this kind of karate self protection bubble sometimes, <laughs> so it, it's kind of nice to see how things are going in the other world. I've had a lot of conversations with Aikidoka recently. You Tristan and Dan and yeah. myself, you know, and, and, and that's it, it, it's 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 really really interesting. And I think in this conversation, I think we've done a fairly good job of recreating the conversation we did last week. You know, yeah, not too bad. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. And, and so hopefully, <laughs> within that, there's uh, there's plenty for people to um, uh, to think about. So yeah, so and, and you know, traditionally in these things, you know, so it's the American Defensive Arts Academy. You know, that that's where you 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 teach that in, in, in Texas awesome. if people want to. Yeah, which again, I, I know you guys well. I know the people that teach there. I can highly recommend you for. All that you do there, you know. So, you know, um, so yeah, you know, and, and, and I really do appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation twice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's always, always, always a pleasure. So, uh, the last thing is, you know, for for any Aikidoka out there who are looking to maybe shift to a more pragmatic approach, and maybe you feel like, you know, your organization can't quite help you make that jump, even without leaving the organization, I highly recommend contact Ian. Find out about uh, the WCA. They've got resources. You don't even have to – you guys are so great. You don't have to join, but you can point you in the right direction and kind of mentor you and and how to approach that. Yeah. That's it. Well, we did chat about – yeah, so the, the WCA is a body that kind of exists for that purpose, really. But as we talked about last week, you know, we, we've got plenty of people who aren't members that I always talk of as friends of the family. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. For whatever reason, you know, we're here to help everybody. You know what I mean? So, and, and me as an individual, not even as a part of that organization, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to help. But hopefully this conversation will be, uh, I mean, part of the reason we wanted to record it, in the hope that uh, other people find it interesting, it, it generates uh, some thoughts for them and maybe a resource that they can point people towards just to start these kind of conversations off. So thanks so much for doing this, Oliver. I've really, really it enjoyed it. time. Thank you, Ian. So thanks once again for Oliver for being part of that conversation. Again, really wide-ranging. I hope that you found that uh, interesting. I hope there's things in there that you can uh, take away, uh, think about and agree or disagree. I, I hope you enjoyed the, uh, uh, the conversation. Uh, just a few things to let you know about as well. Uh, one big thing, of course, is the app community. Probably don't mention that as much as I should in the podcast. Uh, but as you know, I've been running an app now for about five years. It gets updated uh, every week. There's over 1,000 hours now of exclusive content on there and regular live online sessions as well where we break things down. So the most recent one was on the uh, lead and hook and we're about to do one on the practical use of elbows. All the footage from those live sessions is added to the app so you can work along with them on demand. I believe that's a phrase we use. You can catch up with them on demand uh, whenever you, you wish to as well. So yeah, definitely my favorite project is the app. It used to be these podcasts, still love doing these podcasts. Uh, but the app community is just so awesome. It's just that direct interaction with people that I, I really, really enjoy. So if you like what we do here, be sure to check out the app because you're going to love that. So thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much for your support of the podcast. And I'll be back with more soon. Okay. Take care, everyone. Speak soon. Bye-bye.